Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Verse 18. Now the birth of Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Burkett notes, That is, the birth of Christ was not in the ordinary and natural way, but as Mother Mary was found to be with child by the extraordinary and miraculous operation of the Holy Ghost. Here note that the espousal of Mary to Joseph was for the safety of Christ and for the credit and reputation of the Virgin. It was for our Savior's safety because being to fly into Egypt, he has Joseph, his reputed father, to take care of him. And it was for the virgin's reputation, lest she should have been accounted unclean. Learn hence what a special regard Almighty God has to the fame and reputation of his children. He would have them free from the least suspicion of evil and dishonesty. Mary, being espoused to a husband, frees herself from the suspicion of naughtiness, and her son from the imputation of an illegitimate birth. Observe further the miraculous conception of the Holy Jesus. The Holy Ghost overshadowed the Virgin and did miraculously cause her conception without the help of a human father. Thus Christ was the Son of God, as well in his human as in his divine nature. He must needs be a perfect holy person who was purely conceived by the Holy Spirit's operation. Verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Burkett notes, that is, being a holy person and a strict observer of the rights of his nation, he was unwilling to company with a defiled woman, and therefore minded to put her away by giving a bill of divorce into her hand before two witnesses. But being kind and gentle, he intended to put her away privily, lest she should have been exposed and stoned to death. Observe here how early our dear Lord's suffering began. He and his mother are designed to be put away, even when he was but an embryo in the womb. Observe farther from the great clemency of Joseph towards the suspected virgin, that kind and merciful men always presume the best and prosecute with gentleness, especially where life is concerned. Meek Joseph does resolve upon the milder course, and chooses rather to put her away privily than to publicly expose her. Verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Burkett notes. Two things are here observable, namely the care that Almighty God takes, one, for Joseph's satisfaction, two, for vindicating the virgin's reputation. For Joseph's satisfaction, an angel is dispatched to give assurance that the virgin was not defiled by man, but overshadowed by the Holy Ghost. Whence note that Almighty God will certainly find out ways and means for the people's satisfaction when they are willing and desirous above all things to come to the knowledge and right understanding of their duty. Observe, too, how the angel clears the virgin's innocency, as well as satisfies Joseph's doubting, by assuring him that what was conceived in her was by the Holy Ghost. Learn hence that God will in his own time clear the innocency of such as suffer in their own name and reputation for the sake of Christ, though for the present 
they may lie under the burden of disgrace and shame. Verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, a prediction of our Savior's birth. The virgin shall bring forth a son. Two, a precept for the imposition of his name. Thou shalt call him Jesus, that is, a Savior. Three, the reason why that name was given to him because he should save his people, not temporarily, as Joshua did the Israelites from their enemies, but spiritually and eternally from their sins. Not in their sins, but from them. That is, from the guilt and punishment, from the power and dominion of them. Observe for the peculiar subjects of this privilege, his people. He shall save his people from their sins. Learn one, that sin is the evil of evils, or that sin, considered in itself, is comparatively the greatest and worst of evils. Two, that the great end of Christ's coming into the world was to be a savior from this evil. Three, Christ's own people do want and stand in need of a savior as well as others. If he does not save them from their sins, they must die in and for their sins as well as others. Therefore, he saves them from sin in three ways. One, by obtaining pardon for sin and in reconciling us to God. Two, by weakening the reigning power of sin and implanting a new principle of holiness in the heart. Three, by perfecting and accomplishing all these happy beginnings at the end of this life in heaven. Dr. Hammond's Practical Catechism. Verses 22 and 23. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Burkett notes, Of all the prophets of the Old Testament, the prophet Esai has the honor to be the first recited in the New. Here, the evangelist quotes his prophecy of Christ's incarnation. Behold, a virgin shall be with child. Learn hence that the great mystery of our Savior's wonderful incarnation was, though darkly, revealed to the Church of God under the Old Testament. Observe further the name given to our Savior under the Old Testament. Emmanuel, that is, God with us. God manifest in our flesh. God appearing in our nature. God reconciling man to himself. Oh, happy, blessed union of two natures in one person. Christ is God and man united, that God and man may be reconciled. Verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. Burkett notes. Joseph is no sooner assured that Mary is with child by the overshadowing power of the Holy Ghost, but he instantly obeys the Lord's command and takes Mary to him, without further disputing or delaying. Learn hence that a gracious person, when once satisfied in God's word of command, disputes no further, but instantly complies with the will of God, even in the most hazardous and difficult duties. Verse 25 and knew her not, 
until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Burkett notes, It is piously believed, though not positively in Scripture asserted, that the Virgin had no other children but our Savior. It is a very probable opinion, though not an infallible article of faith, as the Church of Rome would make it, for the word until signifies in Scripture as much as never. So Genesis 28.15, I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have promised. That is, I will never leave thee. So the words following her firstborn son do not imply that she had any child after but that she had none before. The child which first opened the womb is usually in Scripture called the firstborn, though there was no other born after. Thus, Joshua 17.1, Makar is called the firstborn of Manasseh, although he had no more children. So that Christ not only is God, but also as he was man, was the firstborn and only son. St. Austin expounds and applies Ezekiel 44.2. To the Virgin Mary. This gate shall be shut, and it shall not be opened, and no man shall enter in by it, because the Lord God of Israel hath entered in by it. Therefore it shall be shut. And others of the ancients say that as Christ lay in a tomb in which none had laid before him, so he lodged in a womb in which none had ever lay, either before or after himself. But he said, What followed after the birth is curious but there's no need to complain. What the virgin was afterwards is of small concern to the mystery, therefore not to be inquired after. And yet it is now passed by some into a matter of faith that the Virgin Mary was ever a virgin, and it hath been styled a heresy to hold the contrary. But how it is consistent with good divinity to make that an article of divine faith, which is founded on no divine revelation, or to make that necessary to be believed, which confessedly is not contained in the Holy Scripture, let the Church of Rome answer.